Hello, my name is Kyle Leon Henderson. And I'm Father Ian Elliot Davis, Canon of the Diocese of Los Angeles, Dean of the Incarnation Deanery, and Rector of St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood. But you can call me Father Davis or Canon Davis. Welcome to Theologically Speaking. Hello, and welcome to Theologically Speaking with Kyle Leon Henderson and Father Ian Elliott Davis. Hi. Well, this is our second episode, and I'm excited because the first episode was just all about us, and if you haven't heard that one, please go back to the first one and listen at your convenience. Um, this episode, we're getting into the meat of theology. Mm-hmm. And do I'm I ex- get my SAG-AFTRA card? You do, well, you well. have to do five episodes, and then you'll right, be SAG-eligible. Okay, right. So... Um, but this is exciting for me and a treat that I guess not a lot of people get that they get to have their rector sort of hostage at his distanced table to answer all your theological questions. So I will answer anything you ask me. Well, then let me go change my question list real <laughs> quick. <laughs> I'm kidding. I've already got it written down. So we're going to stick to the script on this mm-hmm. one. Um, so Let's just dive right in. Mm -hmm. What is theology? Theology is any talk, any conversation, any dialogue, any words and grammar about God. God talk is literally what theologos means. Theos, logos. Logos is obviously the word from which we get biology and theology and any ology at all. So the study of. The study of God. But also logos has a deeper meaning than just study. Logos can mean not just word, the secret behind the universe. Logos can mean the key Mm-hmm. to the universe, the key that is the secret to unlocking the universe, wisdom. That's fantastic. I like that. that that's a great place to start because people hear theologically speaking mm-hmm. or theolo- theology. And they theologian. think it's dull and boring and it's not. I think, I think more so it's, it's um, overwhelming and right. a, a, an intimidating concept. So... Mm-hmm. Um, what is your personal definition of theology? Is, does that differ from the textbook mm. definition? I No, I would want to hone it in and sharpen it somewhat mm-hmm. and say that my take on theology is that it's a Wittgensteinian pursuit uh, following Ludwig Wittgenstein. Ludwig Wittgenstein, and who's that? He was an Austrian <laughs> philosopher who lived in Britain in the early part of the 20th century, was a pupil of Bertrand Russell, but he and Bertrand Russell parted ways quite soon, actually, after the First World War, and there's the earlier Wittgenstein and the later Wittgenstein. Um, believe it or not, I studied at the University of Swansea at one stage where there's this kind of Wittgensteinian 
um, diaspora that's all on its own. It's like the world that time forgot. I think I counted six words in that entire statement that I understood. So I'm, I'm going to break it down well, just so a sorry. little bit. So, okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> So I'm trying to grasp. Uh, no, don't it's worry about it. The grammar of God. The grammar. <laughs> the grammar of God. There we go. I'm, I don't mean to. Um, I don't mean to clip your wings. But no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, but um, but that is the joy. That's something I think everybody's going to get out of this. Is they're going to have a bit of a more colorful vocabulary when they're done because of you and that's a good thing so don't ever apologize for that not so. with cuss words though no 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 no. no. i'm no i mean we're episcopalian i'm sure everybody knows all the words yeah bloody so. <laughs> that's the worst um, we get so just to circle back on the question yeah. you wanted to um sharpen your personal definition of theology mm-hmm. so what did you mean by that well, theology can, at, at its broadest, it can be religious studies. Well, for me, that's not terribly satisfying mm-hmm. because religious studies sounds like a very um, almost laboratory mm. kind of study. I was going to say clinical. It's Clini- very clinical. It, that's of it, the and word, clinical. Religion yeah. and spirituality is the opposite. Oh, Oh, it's cultural. It's got to do with... Well, with everything that mm-hmm. we do and say and believe and feel and desire and hope and long for, everything that makes us us and makes God God. Mm-hmm. That's, That's theology, yeah. There you go. Um, and as Episcopalians here in America, uh-huh. you have an illustrious history. Again, see episode one to hear all of that. Um, what makes what theology makes episcopalians unique historically we fall between two extremes if you want to think about our history as a nation the very beginning of the united states of america when we uh, battled for our independence from uh, the united kingdom from britain or it's heartening britain. that you say we I like I'm that. an American. <laughs> I'm a Welsh American or American Welshman or however you want to put it. I love it. Um, at the very beginning of the history of this nation, the founding fathers were kind of generally Puritans. Mm-hmm. So that's one extreme. The other extreme, if you can just in your mind's eye, in your imagination, can think of Latin Tridentine Mass, Roman Catholics celebrating. What's tri- Trident? Tridentine is the Council of Trent, oh, okay. which was a very, very... During the Reformation, that was the counter-Reformation mm. that was kind of launched by the Council of Trent. Gotcha. And they, they uh, had all kinds of rules and regulations about what you had to do and say and believe and practice to be a faithful Roman Catholic. So that sort of led to a very staunch living. Um, it, it's very difficult. A rigorous to, Very, very rigorous, yes. More very than rigorous. staunch, but rigorous. And those are the two extremes mm-hmm. then, the kind of Puritan, New England... Very, very black and white. If you notice, all the churches in New England, none of them have got stained glass. Mm. 
They've all got that, clear glass. That's true. Because it's the Enlightenment. It's the age of the Enlightenment. And so it was about the intellect, the mind. Everything was about the written word. Whereas the other extreme, just a caricature, Roman Catholicism was about statues and stained glass windows and voluptuous music and gorgeous, gorgeous apparel and fantastic architecture and all of those wonderful buildings that we've inherited in medieval Europe, for example. Mm -hmm. But we do see examples here in the United States. Washington National Cathedral, owes the architecture there owes a great deal to European medieval mm. uh, architectural history. So, I, I mean, every facet of life was influenced mm -hmm. by these two extremes. Now, into the middle, as it were, the via media, as it is in Latin, the middle way, mm -hmm. comes the Anglican tradition. And this is... And that, that's something, not to interrupt you, but that's something that does come up um, in the Episcopal Church, in the Anglican Communion, in Very the Anglo-Catholic, is the middle way. Very much so. so. And it, the reason for that is because of history. Mm -hmm. uh, think back to Henry VIII. Okay, people say, oh, Henry VIII founded the Church of England. No, he didn't. There was an Anglican church way be before Henry VIII, a long, long, long time before Henry VIII. What happened with Henry VIII was he wanted a divorce mm -hmm. from Catherine of Aragon, who was related to the King of Spain, King Philip. And Philip was holding the Pope hostage at that time in Rome. And so the Pope would not grant a divorce, an annulment, to Henry VIII. So Henry VIII was desperately trying to find a way out of his marriage with Catherine of Aragon. Mm -hmm. He heard about this new humanism, this new Lutheran kind of tradition, and he rather liked the idea that he could be the governor of the church, because he was the king of the country, he could be the governor of the church here in the temporal sphere, in the worldly mm -hmm. sphere. So Henry broke with the Roman hierarchy. Mm -hmm. That's uh, a technicality. That means that he no longer had to answer to the pope. When he died, his 14-year-old son took over, King Edward, and he was influenced by extreme Puritans. Mm -hmm. So the church swung from one direction to the next. Edward died at the age of I, just some months after he came to the throne, oh. 14 so or 15. With um, Before Henry VIII, this is just fascinating to me, and then we're going to swing it back. Um, but before Henry VIII, was, there any, was the monarch supreme ruler at all? Well, of um, the church, uh, the monarch, uh, no matter which country you were in, in Europe at that time, the monarch or the prince or the archduke, and rarely was it the queen, mm -hmm. though we're going to come to Elizabeth I in a moment. Normally, yes, the prince did have a great deal of say okay. over church politics. So, yes. so it wasn't unheard of that Henry VIII broke from Roman Catholicism. And well, his independence from the Roman hierarchy was something of a 
of a cause célèbre Pretty at radical, the time. Huh? But in Germany, they'd gone even further. And in Switzerland, under Zwingli, they went even further still. Mm. But that's a whole other story. So as far as the Episcopal Church goes, how did that shape where we are today? Or how did that begin to shape that? Sure. Well, the the swinging back and forth between the extremes, the Puritans and the mm-hmm. Romans, um, eventually the pendulum came to rest at a more medium place under Elizabeth I, mm-hmm. and that's what gave us the Via Media. Elizabeth gotcha. said, I want a church that is both reformed and Catholic. What would what would reformed be referring to? Reformed would be um, not having any foreign um, prince or bishop gotcha. dictate what happens in your own country. So basically, the Pope in Rome doesn't get to tell us what to do, right. In England, the Pope in Rome can be a spiritual head, but mm-hmm. he can't be a political figure. Much like you explained in the last episode that the Archbishop, Archbishop of Canterbury is yes. a spiritual, spiritual leader, leader for us. Yes. But he is not the presiding bishop Correct. or anything like that, like uh, yes. Bishop Curry here That's in America. That's right. Well, we have a presiding bishop, but again, the presiding bishop is just the first among equals. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any special privileges um, here in the, in this diocese of Los Angeles, and this is a vast diocese, mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Well, the the I think Los Angeles County is almost the size of Rhode Island. Good grief! I, I believe the that's state right. of Rhode the Island. The state of Rhode Island. So it's it's a very yeah. big county with many many. And we've got six counties in the diocese of Los Angeles. Oh, really? Yeah. So that's a that's a big area yeah. uh, and a big diverse area. Ventura, San um, Bernardino, Orange County. So. Speaking of the middle way, that's how we got mm-hmm. to that concept. Yes. How important is to the theology of the Episcopal Church is our diversity? It's immensely important because it's always negotiation. It's always dialogue. It's always compromise. Mm-hmm. It's always got to be about compromise. And that is the nature of grace that is the way that god works in the world mm-hmm. we believe what would you say to people who would say that you can't compromise on what god said i'd say it's people who can't compromise god compromises all the time god makes allowances for our frailty for our humanity for the number of times we fall flat on our faces when we think that we can do it in our own strength god's the one who picks us up dusts us down and says come on we'll try again and Mm -hmm. try again and we'll keep on trying And we'll learn together. God actually is the best kind of teacher because God is the one who says, and this is a, and there's silence because God waits for our response. God is actually waiting. This is why theology really turns me on because theology is about God waiting for us to respond for us to join in the conversation, Mm -hmm. for us to bring to God our insights, Mm -hmm. our understanding, our failures, our misunderstandings, and all of our questions. That's something that really just instantly led me to fall in love with the Episcopal Church was the participatory aspect of it. 
I mean, mm-hmm. we do sing in in the church that I grew up in, and you do pray and stuff, but the mm-hmm. kneeling and the, the genuflecting and the going up to the altar to receive communion um, was something that was new and different mm. and, and exciting and exhilarating for me. Just that full participatory, full senses. Um, it's very corporate. We do things. You'll notice in, in our liturgy, in our services, we hardly ever say, I, this, that, or the mm-hmm. other. We say, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We confess to Almighty God. It's always we or us, and it's together as a family, as a congregation, right. as an entire people. And I, when I say family, I don't mean just a husband, wife, and 2.5 children. I mean everyone is mm-hmm. included in, in that definition of family. Something that re- else that really struck me about just the way worship in the Episcopal Church goes during a Mass, um, you have, like I said, the genuflecting, the, sta- the standing, mm-hmm. the kneeling, you have the incense, the singing. Um, you have sometimes, you'll when you're presenting a blessing, you'll put your hands on someone's head as the priest, and that's mm-hmm. very tactile. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak a little bit about all the five senses mm-hmm. in the theology of of the church. The sacraments, which are the elements by which God communicates Mm -hmm. to us, are very tactile. In baptism, we use water. In mass, we use bread and wine. Um, In the anointing of people who are ill, we use holy oil. Um, In marriage, we give and exchange rings and we bless rings. Every sacrament of the church, every sacramental action has a physical uh, manifestation, if you like, Mm -hmm. a physical element to it. And for me, that's incredibly important because God does not remain aloof and distant and far away in some spiritual realm that's removed from planet Earth. God is manifest in Jesus Christ. God is incarnate in his Son. And for me, that means that all of creation, all that there is, all the physical stuff around us has been hallowed and sanctified and carries the potential, sure, the potential for harm, but more importantly, the potential for sacramental reality to be brought to its true fullness, which is as a vehicle for the Almighty, as a vehicle for mm-hmm. God to speak to us. That's brilliant. I love that. For someone who was was seeking to start learning the theology of, say, the Episcopal, the Episcopal Church, what mm-hmm. would be the first thing you would tell them? The first thing is read up some history, mm-hmm. because we have an honorable and long history that goes back all the way before St. Augustine, uh, of Canterbury. Uh, Which would be what year? Uh, he's in the 600s, five mm-hmm. 600s. Uh, we have a history that goes back, well, it's lost in the mi- mists of time where we actually um, began. But the Celtic Church, from which I come from, uh, because Wales is part of the Celtic 
uh, group of nations, Ireland, Scotland, the Isle of Man, Cornwall, Brittany and Wales. Th mm. Those are all Celtic nations, Celtic provinces. The Celtic Church dates back to, to the fall of the Roman Empire, the very last Roman centurion, centurions who were leaving Britain left behind their faith. Mm -hmm. And that's how the first Brit Britons became Christians through the Roman Empire. Something else I want to, ta to speak on is I don't know much about the Roman Catholic Church at all because a lot of people make comparisons to the Episcopal mm -hmm. Church, the Roman Catholic mm -hmm. Church. And so if there is a comparison that I'm missing, that's the only reason I'm stating that because I might be missing a comparison and not know, but something that was unique to me coming to this from a much more Protestant, much more conservative background was that we have the Book of Common Prayer. Yes. With the time left, I want to speak on that a little bit. The Book of Common Prayer was a revolutionary volume in its day because it was possibly the first work to have been uh, printed and written in the language of the people. Mm -hmm. um, that was the great watchword, of course, at the Reformation, was to make the Bible available to ordinary men and women and children who could read it in their own language rather than it being just in Latin or just in Greek or Hebrew and Aramaic. Mm -hmm. So the Book of Common Prayer follows, there's a parallel with the translations of the Bible at the time. Mm -hmm. The Book of Common Prayer was a collection of uh, prayers and masses and liturgies and services and rites that were all brought together and in one right. volume. Well, how right. would you define a rite? A rite is something like an ordination or a marriage rite or a baptismal rite. R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. Mm -hmm. So the rite of something is the, um, the rite of the inauguration of a president, for example, follows a set pattern. So we, it would be good, it would be well to think of it as... Would it be tradition or law? Would it be closer to a tradition or a law? That's a very, very thorny question <laughs> um, and not easily answered. Um, a rite is a combination of what is expected, what has been done in the past, what speaks to people today, and it's a very nuanced and delicate um, part of what we call liturgy. Now, liturgy, this will bake your noodle now. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> liturgy in ancient Rome and ancient Greece was expected of every upright citizen. There was no distinction between politics and religion or spirituality. It was all part of being a good citizen. And one was expected to participate in the worship of the gods, mm -hmm. whether they be Mars or Zeus or whoever. But liturgy was part of one's uh, duty, if you like, as a good citizen. There was no reward. Um, occasionally there, was, there were groups and sects that uh, had secret knowledge, as in the Gnostics. Mm -hmm. But on the whole... And that's what Gnostic 
means secret Se- knowledge. Yeah, yes, it's from the word for for knowledge. Because uh, people who are listening may have heard people describe themselves as agnostic, meaning right that a bit of a mystery. But right, that so, they're neither not to digress, but just no, to they're neither give the atheist nor believer, but they're somewhere mm-hmm. in between, which is agnostic, which right. is is fine. I mean, I think most people are agnostic about something or other Mm -hmm. most people are agnostic about ufos some people are convinced that there are such things as ufos yeah some people i would say that's me agnostic about other life forms out there really yeah maybe i'm open to it well i'm open to other life forms but i i i don't know that there are any well i mean we don't know for sure so well, is there life here on this planet is a question, really, isn't it? Forget <laughs> about life after death. I mean, growing more and more mysterious death? every day. <laughs> hmm. um, and by liturgy, well, how would you define liturgy? Liturgy is worship. It's the, uh, the service in which we participate mm-hmm. uh, together. Um, we can do it. Uh, services either corporately together as a family or sometimes occasionally just in small groups of two or three Mm -hmm. and very occasionally a liturgy is just one person but very rarely and something i'd mentioned in episode one was that the church i had gone to was right too and so now we've defined right well Mm -hmm. defined it for as much as it can be defined Right. But it, it gives right. our listeners an understanding of what we mean when we uh-huh. say right. It's yes. You've defined it just then. And what I meant in episode one was the liturgy of where I went to church was uh, following right to, uh. which can be found in the Book of Common Prayer. We here at St. Thomas the Apostle, we more um, follow right one. So we have about five minutes left. So I want to ask you one good Quick question. Right is from the word for ritual, by the way. Oh, yes, I, that's, I that's good to know. That. No, that's wonderful. Yes. I love that. That because I think this is a good episode to give our listeners a foundation of mm-hmm. the the words that we're going to use, so that we don't have to keep stopping you every time to explain right, right and this and that. But we at Saint Thomas the Apostle specifically are of the Anglo-Catholic tradition. That's how you'd say it, yes. right? Yes. What would what does that mean? To be in in reference to the the Episcopal Church because we're a part of the Episcopal yes, Diocese, yes. meaning we are a part of this group of churches. Yes. What does us being Anglo-Catholic it mean, means, and how does it differ from our sister churches? Sure, it means that we have a profound respect for the liturgies, for the services, for the ceremonial, the ritual of the church. We believe that it's an inheritance that we've been given. It's part of our background, part of our history, but it's far more than that. It's a living, growing, moving, developing entity in which we all participate. It's like a huge river Mm -hmm. into which we dip our toes and then our feet and then hopefully, you know, uh, we immerse ourselves in the life and the witness of the church. Anglo-Catholic means that we're kind of descended from churches that are in communion with the Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm -hmm. On the whole, that tends to mean English-speaking churches, though it's not limited to Mm English-speaking churches at all. Um, And Catholic simply means universal. So it applies to 
to all Christians, all Christians mm -hmm. are actually Catholic. And that's weird. And all Catholics that's are Christians. Interesting to me that that's something that's never really explained to anyone. Right. Because where I come from, there's a lot of conservative Protestant right. Christian people who they hear the word Catholic and it's almost like a dirty word because it's right. capital C Roman Catholic. And right. I, I'm just glad to, to have a definition that Catholic little C means mm -hmm. universal universal church applying to everyone everywhere at all. Basically, times. if you like I was saying in episode one, if you've accepted Christ into your life, mm -hmm. you are part of the Catholic little C yes. church because Catholic you're part of the church universal church. Mm -hmm. Yes. So. Well, I think that provides a really good foundation for where this conversation is going to go. So that is the end of our first real wow. substantive episode. So wow. I'm excited to keep going. But if you cannot stop there, you can always get more Father Davis at the Facebook page at St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood, where he celebrates Mass every day. How often? <laughs> Five times, four or five times a week. Four or five times a week. And then you can go to High Mass on Sunday mornings at 1030 Pacific Standard Time. And it'll be on the Facebook page, but you can see him there. And you can also follow us on Instagram at St. Thomas Hollywood. You can also find the Sunday Masses on YouTube, which you can also find this podcast. So I think that gives everybody their their daily dose of Father Davis. But also, it's interesting, if you are not familiar with an Anglo-Catholic Mass, it would be a great thing to go and do a little homework. Watch Father Davis celebrate the Mass and come back for the next episode in a couple of weeks. I feel nauseous. <laughs> All eyes are on you, sir. <laughs> Theologically Speaking is a production of Church Nerds Media. Executive producers of the show are Jeffrey Clark Tosca, Father Ian Elliott Davis, and Kyle Leon Henderson. Associate producer is Ed Tosca. Theologically Speaking is mixed and edited by Kyle Leon Henderson. For more information about St. Thomas the Apostle Hollywood, visit our website at www.stthomashollywood.org. Follow us on Instagram at stthomashollywood or visit our Facebook page. If you love the show, don't forget to tell your friends, rate, and review our show. It helps even more people find us. And finally, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.